Adam, greetings. Your background looks a lot better than my background. Where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm joining you from Menorca in Spain, in the Iberian uh, Peninsula, in the Balearic Islands. Uh, so when you went for your walk this morning, did you see my buddy Rafa? Is he out there warming up? Or? <laughs> He's in the next island over. He's in Mallorca. I'm okay. in Menorca. And uh, I, like I said, I had some travel issues, so I just I only just go here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, we're, uh, f funny enough, we're going to be in Spain um, after this uh, posts, but uh, in a couple weeks from this conversation, we're going to uh, – a little town called Dania, I'm sure you know, is the port that goes over to Ibiza, and uh, we're going to go see friends there, and it'll be my first trip to Spain, so I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, a good time. Awesome. You're going to love it. So, um, one, this is, uh, this is a really interesting conversation that we're about to have because it feels like, uh, one, is dominating our industry from a design, from a deployment, from a accommodation from, uh, uh, you know, the environment around us about artificial intelligence in general, generative AI specifically, but we don't, I don't know that we need to limit it to just generative AI. And you've, you've talked about it many times. You've thought about it many times. I know you've, um, you've written about it. I, I guess I want to start with this idea of, and it's a pretty big one, but how do you see it? And you can take this anywhere you want. How do you see it impacting our industry? Um, yeah, so uh, industry, I mean, in, in many ways, that's more of the, you know, the, the bigger concepts of AI, you know, as, as you know, you know, as we all know, they go, they go wide and large and, and right. sort of become existential as we get to a certain point. So I think our, our, how they impact our industry is a good place to start, right? Um, and when we talk about our industry, I, I kind of tend to, I tend to want to sort of, again, branch out a little bit from just data centers. I think probably more about digital infrastructure in the wider sense, because, mm. you know, we exist in, a, in, a, in an ecosystem of fiber and towers. And I think, you right. know, we're, we, we exist to to get the technology that's being developed out to the world. And I think it's hard to talk about data centers without including it under that digital infrastructure umbrella. So, um, you know, I think, we, you know, very, sim very simply, uh, we were struggling before AI really took off to to meet the demand that was coming down the pipe just from regular cloud and, and, and other uh, infrastructure uh, requirements that were happening, you know, globally. Um, and, and AI has just added like a huge level of that, yeah, a huge new layer to that. So yeah, if we think about what's happened in a year, right? it's not even in a year, it's in like nine months. A year ago, I was going to trade shows, no one was talking about AI, you know, we were, nobody was even thinking, it wasn't on any agenda at all. And what happened was ChatGPT, right? That's what really brought everybody's attention. It's been there, we've been, we've been talking about it from an existential perspective for a while, but yeah, it, what really brought it to everybody's attention was ChatGPT, right? And you look at just the numbers of ChatGPT, right? One million users uh, of, within the first, I think, six days, 57 million in the first month, 100 million in the first two months, 1.6 billion users by the end of June. You know, no, no tech has had anything like that adoption ever. And so, you know, that's just created additional demand um, drivers and this wave of demand that's come in over the top of everything else that, that we've been seeing. Um, and, you know, if you just think about our industry, and when I say our industry, digital infrastructure, it's right. physical, right? We're, 
we're old school in land and power and buildings and, and it's physical and there's finite power, finite land. Um, and we need to, you know, we need to manage all this demand that's coming down the pipe. And that's before you even start talking about things like political headwinds and nimbyism. Um, and so, so yeah, the way it's, I think it's the way it's made of all of us think it's, it's made us all have to take stock very quickly of the way we approach uh, our own industry um, and the way we approach acquisition. And, and I think it's obviously made us think even more about sustainability because resources are limited, right? How do we do the maximum with the limited resources we've got with this huge amount of demand that's coming down the pipe? So that's why you, know, you and I started this conversation, right? It's, we're both thinking about this. Um, we're not AI people necessarily. We don't we don't work in that industry. We're not chip manufacturers. We're not we're not using AI to to model to model what we're doing. But right. it's going to have such an impact. We both want to be educated and understanding about what's happening. Seems like every so often there's the here's the new thing. Whether it was connectivity speeds or the ab ability to you know fractalize uh, frequencies with DWDM or blockchain or whatever. There's been all these yeah. things, and I remember yeah, yeah. exactly. That's exactly right. Um, uh, I don't even know why I didn't think of the cloud and uh, VMs or whatever. But my, I guess what I'm saying is I don't remember. Let's just take hypervisor perfect example. Back in 2008, 2010, saying to myself or going to a conference and saying, "I built my own VMs in my and I've been playing with uh, VMware or you know ch choose one, cho choose whatever hypervisor you like." And here's how. Now some people did, but not every, you know it wasn't a regular part of the conversation. Or even with blockchain, some people got into. When they say blockchain, they usually think crypto. I just think more gen generic blockchain. At this last conference, everybody was talking about either, well, some version of how they're using either ChatGPT or Bard or Dolly or you know the image making stuff or any any of the things that are conversational generative things. And as I was preparing for this conversation, what I realized was. We're, I'm touching it, like not because I'm in the industry, but because I'm a human being, and this is interesting to me, and I'm trying to figure out how it could help me in my blog post, not to write it for me, but like my Jarvis, who's kind of helping me critique and figure out, no, to, to, give me less syllables in that, how would I do that? And then the second part is, if I asked uh, the leaders, the executive leaders at my organization, what does generative AI mean to you? everybody's going to have an opinion. Like if I asked blockchain three years ago, my CFO is not going to talk a lot about smart contracts or the impact to regulation. Whatever. He's just not going to think about it. Today, they're thinking about it. How do we operate it? How do we design for it? What's the, how do we cool it? How do we, what's the legal regulate, you know, what's the regulation? What's the ethic? What, like it's touched so many areas. What as an organization, how much can we use blockchain just in our business? I mean, not blockchain, uh, generative AI, chat GPT specifically, or some of these other things. Like it, I can't remember the last time where so many or parts of the organization, either as members of the organization or as human beings have wanted to, to uh, understand or engage in something. It's a, it's a phenomenon um, that I can't remember other than maybe the personal computer. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you say that, right? But I was thinking about this, you know, preparing for this, and I was thinking, right, what are, yeah, what were the other things that really changed the way we we live and the way we interacted with each other? And you know, 
I mean, it's 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 feels so day to day now. But social media, right? The 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 first, you know, the MySpaces and the Facebooks, and then you know every and then Twitter, um, you know, streaming, cloud. These all these all changed the way we we did certain things. I think the thing about about uh, generative AI is it changes, it touches, as you said, so many multiple. Uh, disciplines and, and different areas of our lives. But I think that's what I love about our industry as well is, is that, you know, all that stuff's happening out there. And, and I, I personally, I started out as a real estate person, right? So I, I have no tech background at all, only through my my involvement in the data center industry for the past 20 years. And I love how it brings us sort of at the, that, that sort of you know, crossroads of, of tech and, and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why it's interesting for us right now. And I think it's our it's our uh, duty and our kind of obligation in this industry because we're, we're sort of the bottleneck, right? Tech is tech is almost infinite in, in, in what it can do and how many people it can reach, but it can only reach them. And again, you know, if you look at, you go back and you look at streaming and social media, they were all, they, they all happened uh, in line with and it's a bit chicken and egg, cause and effect, which came first, you know, the the high bandwidth or the streaming, right? Which came right. Which, which came first as social media ubiquity or, or, you know, the 4G, 5G, being able to access it from our phones everywhere. And so it's very much the, 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 um, the digital infrastructure that makes that tech, uh, you know, available to the planet and everybody on it, right? And that's why I think it's really important as well start differentiating in, in AI between when we especially when you get into that kind of generative AI between the training and the inference, right? Because you know, training is it can happen anywhere, but that inference element where where, where the really the rubber hits the road of where the tech meets the end user and, and the tech starts to have real world implications day to day very much sits where you know you and I live um, in, in that digital infrastructure a meeting is that the public face so it's super important that, that we get it right as well um because otherwise you know we won't just this we won't do it justice we won't be able to get to as many people and maybe have as wide-ranging implications as it could now some right. people might say that that's a good thing right if it doesn't <laughs> because you know uh, if you want to go down a little rabbit hole here um you know there's a thirty thousand signature petition going out at the moment from the Future of Life Institute, trying to put a, a, a hiatus on all AI activity for the next six months, which personally I think is is not the right thing to do, right? I, I don't think, you know, since when do we want to stop progress, good or bad? Right. Um, and, and it's sort of antithetical to what you and I do in our lives, which is, like I said, try and build the infrastructure to get to make sure this tech can reach the widest audience as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, um, I've heard those conversations many times from, uh, I'm not sure how they agreed, whether they agreed it was the right idea, but everybody from Elon and, you know, most thought leaders. Yeah. yeah, Most thought leaders. Uh, Elon Musk signed it. It's like anthropologists, you know, it's, it's a wider, it's a wide variety of people signing those petitions. Yeah. And and I get, I get the heart. I just I know that there are there are people groups and nation states around the world. In my opinion, this is my opinion, not my orgs that are that they see technology like this as the ability to disrupt the status quo from a um, competitive uh, perspective in in every way. There's so many ways. I'm um, thinking mm. about this in the most positive way that it can give them an opportunity and so if you're if your competitor 
you know, in a race is saying, and you're and you're you're behind them, some some distance behind them, is saying, you know what, we need to have uh, ten minute breaks instead of five minute breaks, and then we need to do this other stuff, and you're. You're like, look, I'm sick and tired of being second, third, fourth, fifth place in this race, and and here's a way. If we do three minute breaks instead of ten minute breaks, or whatever it is, whatever the uh, you know metaphor works for you. But if I don't do that petition, or if I don't have as much restriction, or if I do it differently, and it affords me generational advantage, I'm not saying this is ethically right. I'm just saying that I can understand the conversation of gr- groups and organizations saying. Man, this is our chance. We need to uh, we need to take advantage of this to uh, gain ahead, and it and it and in its best form. I'm not saying this is their intention, but in its best form, it's because I want to, my children to have more opportunity than um, than they would otherwise. And so I don't know. In I don't know how uh, signing a petition or whatever outside of maybe the West, and even then some narrow parts of the West. Is really going to gain momentum. I don't. I don't know that that's the way to approach it. Certainly, I don't either. And, and I, I'm skeptical when I see, you know, Elon Musk, uh, free speech absolutist, um, all of a sudden wants to put restraint on on progress. Right? My 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 spidey senses start tingling and and start saying, well, maybe maybe he has a maybe he has a dog in this hunt. Right? And right. so, you know. I, um, because I, I'm not a free speech absolutist. I do believe in free speech, but I also believe that you know free speech can be damaging if it's not regulated to a certain extent. Right. Um, but I, you know, I also think that it, it's if you look at the wider implications of, of, of AI and where it can take us as, as a race, as, as a as a people, as a as a planet, you know, I think there is uh, a lot to be said for it. And if you, you know, and then why stop it? You know, why stop that progress if it is? We've never wanted to stop progress. I don't think. Um, you know, there's there's a, there's a, an English ecologist called uh, Mark Linus, and, and he said that. Um, and it's interesting because we talked earlier about sort of changing positions and how we evolve. And we talked about it before we went online, but yeah, he's, he's a good example, right? He's an ecologist that was was vehemently anti-nuclear for many years, um, and he came round to he's come round as as a lot of ecologists have to the to the thought that nuclear is actually the the way forward for for our for our planet and um, for our society. Um, and he's actually a big advocate of AI, and he thinks that we should be using our um, our technology to you know, to grow socio-economic uh, um, uh, benefits, to make life better for people, stabilize the climate, and protect the natural world. Right. Yeah. So, if, if that's your manifesto for AI, why would you why would you ever want to to halt it or, or stall it? It's you know full steam ahead. Yeah, for those reasons and many more, I think that it's. Um... I just don't think it's going to be anything but full steam ahead. For whatever reason, people coming to the table, it's going to be full steam ahead. And it, I think what we're saying is it's kind of like when we figured out how to build and at least it more than one story. We're not saying we don't want to build multi-story buildings. Um, and while I tend to be libertarian, at least in this area, I feel like less regulation as a general theme is better. Nobody's saying, I don't think we're saying anyway, we don't want inspections. We don't want regulation and how we build. We don't want our buildings to collapse on us. We don't want them, you know, we don't want AI to not have an ethic and regulation. And in the same way that we have rules through the UN, you know, global rules, we have um, state rules, etc. I just feel like embracing and managing the embrace is is the much more pragmatic um, 
and and almost certainly way the world's going to do this. And so why waste our time in doing something uh, other than that? I just I just think it's a waste of time. Yeah, I, I vehemently agree. I mean, you know, the, the UK Foreign Secretary Oliver Dowden is actually uh, addressing the UN as we speak. You know, basically saying you know, calling AI a threat to humanity. Uh, and all this stuff, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, right. it's uh, uh, artificial. We're talking about artificial intelligence. You know, the British government hasn't uh, demonstrated a whole lot of natural intelligence in the last few <laughs> years. So uh, um, I'm not really I'm not really down to, to follow their example on artificial intelligence for sure. But I think what what you're talking about is really interesting. Like, and I fully agree with you, like, um, you know, that, that there, obviously there needs to be regulations, there needs to be checks. But. What we've had in tech for the last 60 years is, is a law that has held pretty much true for 60 years. And you know what I'm going to say, it's Moore's law, right? Yep. You know, and we, we pretty much have the, the, um, the, the opposite in, in, you know, in what we do in digital infrastructure. You know, we, have diminishing, uh, we have diminishing resources and diminishing returns to those resources because we, you know, we're, we're unable to build as, as densely as we would like to. We're unable to, to, we have power issues in the US, you have transmission power uh, issues, transmitting power in the, in Europe, it's more around the generation of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the resources that we're, we're using to, to, to store, manage, transmit this data, all this tech that's coming from all this tech that's being created are diminishing, you know, almost inversely proportional to the rate that the tech itself is increasing. And so, you know, we have to be pragmatic about it and, and, um, and, and I think that that is what we as a data center industry are trying to do very well. And we do it, you know, through the data center industry, the very, especially in, in Europe, we have a lot of data center associations. Um, each country has its own data center association. We have the EU DCA, which you know, our CTO is on the board of. And, and it's very much about, you know, it's not trying to strong arm anybody. It's about being sensible, pragmatic, lobbying, ensuring that we're educating um, the, the governments and, and the, the local authorities in, in the regions where we're we're operating to say, hey, look, you know, we are we're not we're we're giving a, a benefit here. We're trying to provide a service, um, and I also think you know the econ the, the economics and the eco sorry the economics and real politics is coming into play now, right? Mm -hmm. Because data centers were always perceived as a very resource hungry uh, use of land and of, of power. Well, you know, offices are, are not so prevalent anymore um you can only have so many logistics requirements light industry less and less in the in the areas that we're talking about yeah residential has its has its locations and requirements which is often not the same as data centers and so there is an element of that where you know, the, the economics and the real politics start to, to to drift in but that is i think our job in this industry is to educate uh, the powers that be that you know why we're doing what we're doing that we're doing it for good reasons and positive reasons and that we bring a benefit a societal benefit of compute and ai and everything that we do when you when, as you go and you have conversations with people in roles like yours how have you heard um one do you agree with that idea this premise that we're you know the people that seem to be serious about this are not only trying to learn how we accommodate these higher workloads um this infrastructure 
but how do we do it in a responsible way and interact with the community? I know there's more to be done there, but um, is that your experience or do you have a different experience? No, that's absolutely my, that's absolutely our experience. Um, so this is probably boring for your listeners because we're agreeing about everything. You know, <laughs> right. we need to find something to have a fight about. Sure. Um, <laughs> but no, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, and that's one of the things that, that we've certainly as an organization, the data for that I work, where, where I work, is where we've been successful is is that you know it's very much uh, um, act very locally um spend a lot of time with local government with you know uh with with the federal government or, or national governments as well or, or federal government at the european level um you know it's, it's, it's there's a lot of hearts and minds that need to be won here and explaining and, and understanding that you know and giving back to the community because it's all well and good just you know if, if it's just lip service and you just you're just saying oh you know we're doing all this great stuff and you don't actually do anything but we're out there you know we're creating uh, educational roles we're giving back to communities we're building roads we're replanting trees and i know that replanting is not always the best way to go but you know we're trying to give back to those communities and, and more importantly you know we're trying to find sites that are sites that aren't being used or don't have a very good alternative use right the mm -hmm. french are, uh, the french have a uh, zero net artificialization target which is you know no no greenfield sites are being used now for in, are being converted to industrial you have to find brownfield if you could find an industrial site that is you know polluted and and, and bring it back to life give it a new economic life cycle that uh, we come back to the real politic that generates taxes for the local community that you're that you're that you're doing that in it takes a piece of dead land that wasn't generating revenue before for that community generates revenue you can then commit back to it creates jobs creates activity so you know there, there is absolutely that element and, it, and it's key you can't do what we do without doing that and and then you look at ai and you think okay well there is maybe a bit of short-term pain for some long-term gain here because ai is potentially a problem that can solve itself right because you know, what is AI if it's not an evolution of our own thought processes and everything that we can do just done a million times faster, right? So I kind of, I, was, I, I bit my tongue, but when you were saying before, you know, how do we, how do we do all of this? How do we build sustainably? How do we, how do we um, supply all this, this space and power for, for, for AI and, and make it sustainable? My reaction is ask chat GPT, you know? <laughs> That's my not facetious bad, answer, yeah. but, but that's actually, not a bad idea. If you go, to, you know, if you if you kind of follow that through to its sort of natural conclusion, you know, you know, AI is already uh, computers are already reproducing, right? right? We need computers to to build the chips because we can't, you know, no human can build the circuits that exist today. They're so small. In, in the chips that are being built so you know ai is already effectively becoming you know uh, the, the, the 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 cybernetics that we created are already are reproducing themselves with our help and i i see it you know as, as an evolution of, of human brain power and, and it's going to help us do the things that that maybe we can't do like you know maybe one day uh, AI will jet will create its own chip that can photosynthesize, you know, using the power from the sun mm. to create energy. You know, it's, it sounds ridiculous today, but then every good invention, every invention that ever came along sounded ridiculous when it, when it first came along. So you mentioned earlier, the difference between inference, or you talked about training and inference. And I'm not, I don't know that everybody knows what that is. So hold on to that for a second. I'd love you to explain what you mean, because I think it's related to my other question, which is, 
my data centers today, and generally my data centers, we've got some smaller ones, but usually they are hundreds of thousands of square feet or larger, and they are um, many, many megawatts, 100 megawatts or more, sometimes much more. Certainly campuses in some cases here in the States, and the US, and you're, you're primarily in Europe, if I remember correctly, you know, there are, there are differences between the continents, and, um, but, but that aside, the grid loves us on the one hand because I'm a predictable base load. I'm very steady. I'm very um, – they love it. I don't do great with intermittent power without storage, um, and those are complexities that we're working through. So nobody's against intermittent power, solar, um, wind, or whatever. It's just how do we do that with base load without messing with the grid? And so that's another problem that it's being worked on. But they love that base load. And what we're talking about here reminds me with uh, generative AI, um, or, and there are other forms of AI that we haven't dove into, but, um, and you talk about them in a great way in your article, by the way, I, I really appreciated that. Reminds me in some ways of quantum computing in that with quantum systems, quantum compute systems, we imagine, I've talked to a number of people, we imagine what role they're gonna play and what some of the problems they're gonna solve or even create are. And we know as one-off sort of built how they could impact from an infrastructure perspective, what it takes to support them. They're so heavy in many cases, how cold they have to run, which is another way of saying how much heat we have to accommodate, all the all of these things, but we don't actually have them deployed. And as we're looking at this AI boom that you've described and the infrastructure that comes into the system, to now, while our baseload's been pretty steady, even with the introduction of um, the hypervisor and big blade chassis and whatever, we watched rack in some cases densities grow, but it's not like a wildfire, which this is. And the thing about wildfire is it can be so unpredictable as the winds change or things change. Yeah. And if you're not prepared for it, you know, it's, uh, it could be wildly destructive as we've seen around the world as the climate changes. So how, what's your reaction, I suppose, to those two things, the training versus the inference and this sort of we're, we're guessing, the hyperscalers are guessing, we as the operators, I mean, we're smart people, we've got a lot of experience, but this feels like unprecedented times and how do we manage this, um, yeah. this uh, infrastructure we're trying to uh, accommodate? Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and that kind of, that, I think that comes back to the root of why people are asking for a hiatus, because there is a, you know, if, if I kind of, if I, if we assume that it's coming from a good place, they're asking for it because it feels like the the AI runaway train is a runaway train because there's so much competition and no one wants to be left behind. But if we kind of just bring it back to what you were saying, you know, generative AI inference versus uh, versus training. Training is basically the machine learning stuff that can really sit anywhere, right? So, you know, I think we're going to see. We're going to see a bifurcation of, of workload here, and maybe a, a more than a bifurcation, but in the first instance, a bifurcation where training, which is the non-latency, non-time critical stuff, which is you know, a bunch of GPUs sitting in a corner you know, somewhere, turning over, analyzing any data that you want to throw into it, right? Whether it's you know sports results or you know medical trials or you know the output of 
of GDP for every nation on the planet ever since the dawn of time. You just throw information, it analyzes, and it learns, and it builds its neural networks, right? So while it's building, its, while AI is building its neural networks, and we, we haven't even really talked about the difference between sort of AI and and you know algorithmic algorithms right i mean it's, we haven't really got into that but you know if we just sort of think about ai what it is it's basically it's machines learning to think for themselves and generate information but it obviously needs information in to start with before it can actually generate output right. and then that output is going to happen at inference nodes and that's where it's going to hit the public and and the and its end users Right. So, you know, the analogy that I, I, I use in my article is, is that it's like an athlete, right? So the, the machine learning stuff is the athlete in training. It's 90, 95% of its time, you know, of an athlete's time is spent getting up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, drinking smoothies and, and running at dawn and, and working out and training. Obviously, like me. Uh, and, and myself, they, you know, I'm <laughs> finally finally tuned machine this is a um yeah i think the scientists are going to be studying my body for years to come um uh, <laughs> and then you know and then the inference nodes the the, the where it meets topic is, is the kind of competition time right that's the you know once twice three times a year you go to the nationals you go to the you go to the world championships you go to the olympics you know that's your that's your inference node where the the the, the general public and your end users are actually going to be seeing the output of all that that back-end work right that back-end work can pretty much happen anywhere and i think we've seen that you're seeing that in the states right now with companies like vulture and core weave that are coming out of um blockchain and and crypto mining right so i think it's not uh, it's no coincidence that that some of that that ai activity you know you, you're, you're watching you're seeing guys coming from a crypto mining background pivoting to uh, like an AI cloud model. And a lot of that seems to be based on the, 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 the machine learning side of things um, because it's, you know, it's keep your cost base low. Uh, you know, redundancy is not necessarily an issue. Uptime is not necessarily an issue. Uh, what is an issue is, you know, cost because you want to keep your cost as low as possible, exactly the same as you do when you're mining crypto. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, you're not going to trade that cost base for, for, you know, for a little bit more uptime. But then when you come to the inference element of it, that's when uptime is key. It's got to be available. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be in real time. And so that's when you're back into probably, you know, more like a kind of QTS and data four sort of model where we tend to be in major metropolitan nodes connected to major networks. Latency is an issue getting, you know, because AI and AI products are going to need to be linked to you know, legacy existing products to start with. Most of the time, they're going to be linked to to, to cloud products and things that we use every day, right? Uh, you know, your your uh, your Google your Google uh, Mail and your Teams and your 365 and everything else. And that's when we're going to start. That's probably the first time we're going to start to use that AI in a day to day uh, day to day scenario. So I think that's the first thing you're going to see is that sort of bifurcation and the training is going to happen where there is you know low PUE and surplus and PUE for people that aren't in our industry is power usage effectiveness. So it's the you know it's the how much do you need to to power a server and how much of that is wasted on cooling it and removing the heat from that. So you want low PUEs, but more importantly, you want to go to places where there's surplus power and wherever possible, you know, renewable sources. So you, know, you look at companies like Green Mountain in, in, in the Nordics, 
you know, they've got great, uh, great renewable story, great sustainable story. Um, and that's a great spot for things like training, uh, you know, machine learning. And then you're going to go back to more of the, the, the major metropolitan areas, your London, Frankfurt, Paris, Milan, Madrid. You need to be near the major urban centers because that's where a lot of your eyeballs and your end users are going to be that are actually going to be putting that activity into practical use. Mm. I could see the, the way you describe it to me, it, it, and correct me if I'm thinking about this wrong, training is almost like when you're describing uh, the Bitcoin miners. Like they, they essentially make chicken coops, like Class B, big fans. They're not resilient. They have, uh, I think, if I'm being generous, modest physical protection. And, you know, it just, it, it's a whole bunch of machines linked together. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Just sort of the model, as you've described it, is this big, very warm warehouse of running these machines. And if the warehouse goes down for an hour or whatever, they're not breaking any SLAs and that's okay. What I'm curious is on if that's true as it relates to training with AI, maybe maybe a little bit more robust, but the same sort of idea. As it relates to the inference model, do you think then, because this is where there's a lot of discussion, am I going to have a node or two in a when I say legacy, I don't necessarily mean a 20-year-old data hall in a data center. could be one that's being built right now. But am I just going to have a node or two of inference nodes in there? Or am I going to have a hall full? Does this data center operator have to accommodate with resiliency and with SLAs and with all the other things that they don't have to accommodate in your description in the training model? Am I going to have a whole room full of that? Or am I just going to have a node or two, almost like a network core, um, whether I'm connected by InfiniBan or, or traditional network connectivity? Like, how do you imagine? Am I accommodating 55,000 of these things out on the floor, megawatts worth of it? Or am I accommodating a few nodes of it within a cloud environment, within a traditional IT environment, and it's serving up those things? How do you imagine it in the inference model? I imagine in in the in the first instance, um, and you know we're starting to see it now a little bit is is um, a mix, but not necessarily in the same data center because I don't think realistically the you know we're because we're already talking about new technologies, you know, direct liquid cooling, potentially you know, immersion cooling. So I really I think you're going to be able to adapt legacy data centers. And when I say legacy data centers, you know, the data centers that we're building right now. Right, right. That's right. We're legacy. <laughs> yeah. We're building we're building legacy right now. Yeah. Uh, I guess every I guess everything's legacy at some point. Right. Uh, so um, you know, we we're gonna have to adapt those in the first instance because we're not there yet because it's too it's too nascent. You know, we don't know, our customers don't really know yet what what a uh, what a full a dedicated AI data center really looks like. And we're starting to see now, starting to have, we're starting to workshop some of that and we're starting to build, you know, NVIDIA does training, um, NVIDIA does, um, uh, is it DLX? D I, um, they, they do infrastructure training for their, uh, for a lot of, not necessarily their partners, but, but potentially uh, for companies like ourselves that might be uh, accommodating, you know, NVIDIA GPUs, uh, on, but on behalf of, of, a, of a channel partner of NVIDIA's, right? right? So, you know. And they have a certification uh, process you can go through as exactly. well. Yeah. So we're, we're really just starting out down that road right now. And, and that's, 
you know, that's why we want to get out ahead of the curve and understand as much about this as possible, which is, you know, hence we, we want to be, uh, we want, it's, intellectually, it's fascinating anyway, right? So there, there's, it's not a chore to learn about this stuff. It's great. It's great fun. And it's, it's really interesting, but we want to be ready. Right. And, and so I think to your point, um, are we going to be seeing a mixed bag? Yes, we are. That may not be in the same data center. We may build, we may be building two data centers right now. And one will just do exactly what it says on the tin and what we'd always planned it to do and accommodate because let's, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Cloud is, you know, cloud is there and it's still, very huge demand and and you know the the cloud uh, instances are going to be required to get this ai you know this ai product set out to the market anyway right so so i think what we're going to see and what we are seeing uh, already is is that you know if we're building two data centers maybe one will stay exactly like it's supposed to be and take a you know, classic cloud infrastructure environment and data center number two where we're looking at how we can workshop that and increase the floor loadings, uh, you know, how we can accommodate direct liquid cooling or immersion cooling and InfiniBand, exactly as you said, like InfiniBand. Um, and, and so I think it's probably anathema to have them uh, sharing a space. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, you know, it's certainly suboptimal. Um, and we can, and I, don't, I don't see that coming yet. Um, unless it's absolutely you know required, but I, I can definitely see it on the same campus, for example, having two buildings next to each other that externally look identical, but when you get inside and you lift the hood and you start kicking the tires, you start to realize that that you know one's the sort of the base model and the other one is like the souped up you know twin overhead camshafts, you know holes in the exhaust like low rider. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I've seen it, um, you know, I've imagined it on our, you know, if paradise is we have facilities, whether they're large enough within one that they can have data halls or sections that are very, very, very robust. And then others that can be modified, although that's not always, um, both operationally and, and, uh, financially, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, Try, you don't want to go in knowing you're going to have to do this. You might as well just do it from the beginning. But in any event, as we're on our way to paradise, whether that's these parallel data centers that are built to serve different purposes or within a facility, my facilities tend to be, as I said before, hundreds, if not millions of square feet in size. And so there's opportunities there. But all of the different providers of digital infrastructure have a different way of approaching and different market segments that they're um, – that they're trying to accommodate. So they'll they'll tackle that in on our way to whatever that ultimate solution looks like though. It feels like in the meantime we're going to be accommodating some of these things into these environments and the complexity there for us is if you do that you're inheriting whatever the 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 most restrictive SLA or you know on that floor is or another way to say that if this floor can only run at a certain heat load then your node has to be adjusted in size or operational performance to fit that. And um, that lends itself. So these are the things that we're thinking about beyond, in addition right. to, I shouldn't say beyond, but in addition to the regulation, the ethic, the accommodation, the access to power and all of the other things. It is a, uh, it's really got us talking and thinking. <laughs> well, what sure. you've highlighted there, though, is 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 you've really you've really highlighted the difference between our two geographic regions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 
Um, the U.S. has vast tracts of land that you can build multi-million square meter data centers, right? right? Europe, Asia, we can't do that. It's far more, which is why, which is why, when you asked me that question, yeah, I talked about multiple multiple data centers because we tend to build multiple small data centers on campuses. Mm. We you don't see, you know, we 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 own and operate one of the largest data center campuses in in all of Europe in Paris. And that has 250 megawatts of utility, you know, which is a good sized data set. Still big, sure. Still big, but it's the biggest, right? Right. You know, and and there aren't that many of them. What you end up seeing mostly is is smaller chunks because, you know, again, you're building in urban areas. The neighbors don't want to see these huge uh, concrete mastodons, monoliths. Right. So there's we come back to that kind of real politic and and just the, the sort of the, the pragmatism of of building in Europe. So the the but on the on the positive side of that is is as I said it's far easier to adapt a full build you know a full twenty megawatt building or thirty megawatt building than it is thirty megawatts on a floor that sits in a hundred and fifty right. megawatt building because then as you said you're kind of you're you're always limited to the lowest common denominator on SLAs. Right. So that gives us you know. There's, there's like in all these situations, there's there's pros and cons, benefits and advantages. And one of the advantages of the way we build in Europe is that we can pivot a little bit easier on a full data center. And so that keeps us away from having to constantly adapt to the lowest common denominator. Adam, I want to honor our time. I, I We could do five of these back to back. If your family would let you out there in your beautiful home and I could, and our bladders would allow us, but they won't. I, I just want to ask this and, and please, I hope, I know my audience is going to love having you back again. And hopefully we can do this in the future. There's so many things we haven't even touched about restrictions of GPUs versus CPUs, just from a, you know, a trade perspective. There, there's a lot of other things, but I'm curious right now, with all of these things sort of sorting through as a leader in the industry, maybe not, maybe not even speaking for your particular organization, but just in the industry, do you have a, a stack ranking of what it is that I tackle first? And I guess what I mean is you've just inherited a Formula One team. Obviously, the goal is to win or whatever that means for you. And there's all kinds of things that you have to tackle. You have to tackle the IT. You have to tackle the engineering, the staffing, the drive. Like, you know, the logistic, like there's all kinds of things. If you were, if you're thinking about this, is that, do you think there's like a, I don't know if a, like a number one, but is there a one, two, three? How do you imagine to accommodate the things that we're talking about? What are some of the first things that are first? I mean, first things first is power generation, right? I mean, okay. you know, there needs to be more forward thinking around, around power generation, quite simply. You know, I think, you know, look, France, France got it right with with the nuclear power a long time ago. They really did. And we come back to that, you know, and the UK has missed the trick on many occasions as many other European European countries. And, you know, it's uh, so, you know, you, you got to You got to and, and I, because I think that it's not just about data centers of power, right? You know, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. It's as simple as that. You know, it's right. a finite resource. You know, nuclear. And again, maybe AI helps us manage nuclear as a as a as a make it to make it a much more safer energy source as we go forward. So I think yeah, the first thing we have to tackle is power, and then and then there's you know you talked about it at the very beginning, and it's it's hearts and minds, right? Because we do have the land in Europe, we do have the places, you know, the space in Europe to do it. Um, and we need to we need to make sure 
the, the, the governments that we're talking to, the local authorities that we're talking to, understand the benefits, understand what we're doing, um, and and that yeah, there there is a huge lobbying activity. So yeah, the land is there, and, and the the ability to do this and accommodate this uh, this huge change that's coming down the pipeline is there. But the two biggest issues for me are, are, are energy and political. Yeah. You know, to me, they're almost in, I, I love the way you describe that. I, my next conversation I'm recording here a little bit later today um, is a, a long conversation about SMRs in particular. And we've had Christine King, who's a director at the Idaho National Labs here in the U.S. She runs the GAIN program. Her primary, not her primary, but one of the things that we talked a lot about was nuclear, whether it's SMR or others going into coal plant areas so that as we decommission coal, because our transmission challenge is so large, that I can stand up, at least that's their hope, go into these communities that are built to serve and and stand up alternative power sources and connect them to transmission that already exist and extend. And then in the community, whether it's a big data center or a small data center, um, both of these ideas um, require us to manage through misconceptions, to have honest, transparent conversations with people that are fearful um, and want to, and we should be held accountable about whether it's this energy generation, what does it really mean, and how do we manage it, and all these other things. And I, I don't want to dive into that. That's another conversation right now. But it's an it's a thing to do honestly. And then, what are the benefits and what are the concerns of bringing in a facility like ours into a community? I believe the benefits outweigh. But I think the way that we persuade people to partner with us is if we're genuine and we and we work through whatever those are, and there's a wide variety of them, and if we can find a partnership that works for both of us with the energy, the, the great thing then is we can connect people to the modern economy and, um, and change the world in a sustainable way. So I appreciate it. Couldn't agree more. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great My conversation. Pleasure. I will say the only thing that's kind of thrown me off is I really don't like people who look better than me um, on the screen or not. So I'm going to apply some kind of filter to mess you up. But thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, everybody, if you like this, my great pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, like it. And if you loved it, subscribe. We'll have links to Adam below. Follow up with what they're doing in Europe. And thank you for joining us, everyone. Take care.